Hello, friends. This is McCall with another bonus episode of Unboxing God. I don't have Cassidy with me today, so we're going to take it a little easy. Instead, my husband Kyle has been gracious enough to edit an interview that was over three hours long, down to 50 minutes for your listening pleasure. So lately we've been talking about gender, and today will be no different. But we're going to talk to one of the most exceptional human beings I've ever met. Not only is this person a fierce advocate and activist for a number of different human rights-focused organizations, they're also brilliant, scientific, worked on the Human Genome Project in India, is a consultant and a speaker all over the world, but is especially involved in the rights of trans workers, transgendered people, in their career. Where do you go to the bathroom, you know? Look around your office. Okay, fine. You're not at the office right now. You're at home, I know. But think back. The last time that you were at your office, is there a bathroom that doesn't say male or female on it? Do you know any transgendered people? Anyone who's non-binary, even? Before you get any ideas any preconceived notions, I really would love for you to open your mind and open your ears and open your hearts. Because this is one incredible human. Cassidy and I are here today with Celia Daniels. Celia, will you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Absolutely. So my name is Celia Sandhya Daniels. I am an entrepreneur. I am a musician. I'm an immigrant. I'm a person of Asian descent. I'm from India. I have a beautiful daughter and I'm married to a lovely woman who is cisgender. I'm a filmmaker and I am a Christian. Most of all, I believe that God made me the way I am today, and I will be talking about that in our series. But thank you so much for that introduction, and I wanted to leave it at that now. <laughs> okay. Where do you live? Are you in L.A.? I live in L.A. I live in um, the suburbs of L.A. It's uh, Thousand Oaks. That's where I live with my family. I've been in uh, California since 2006, so it's been a while since I moved here. <laughs> And did you move from India? No, I've been uh, living in this country since 1997. So it's been 23 years. And I've moved to different parts of the country where I've lived in the East Coast. I've lived in, in the Midwest and I've also lived in Arizona before I moved here. So it's been a, quite a journey. And my job took me around all these places. And I got to travel, be a part of church and be a part of worship while I was struggling deep inside. Where were you when you started going through your transition? I would say more coming out because coming out was my transition. So I remember when I was three to four years old, I remember covering my head with my mom's sari in India 
this was in southern part of india and my parents used to play where are you you know peekaboo i was very cute and i used to pull my sari out of my hair and say i'm here and they thought i was really cute and i really enjoyed being a girl and i wanted to be a girl at the time and i had not seen tv i have not seen movie i have not seen anything i have not even seen a girl maybe i just played with them but i did not even think she was a girl at 3 years old you don't even remember what you're going through and i was also wearing my cousin's skirts and i was running around the house and they thought hey that's not what you do you're a boy and at the time i felt a little ashamed and i also knew that my gender wasn't doing justice to my anatomy it was a little weird for me and i started thinking about it and i went into the closet when my parents told me you know you should not dress up like a girl and that was the time when i really understood that oh this is a wrong growing up in a christian conservative family back in india we were more anglican because of the british tradition we grew up that way and i always felt like i was a misfit i always felt like i was doing something wrong and in my mind i felt like i was doing something that god did not want me to do so i was struggling with gender dysphoria at a very young age and i didn't know what it was at the time so i learned to suppress my femininity and i just said i'm going to survive i'm just going to start surviving i don't know what is going on with my life and god is important to our family and when my parents introduced god to me as a child the first thing that hit me was you know what god i don't know about you but i don't think you're going to be happy with me <laughs> because i am a person who is truly going to hell so i hated going to sunday school i did not want to go to sunday school because the more i learned about god the more guilty i became because the purity of god made me so impure the sanctity of god made me such a sinner that i thought my sin was too big for god to forgive i didn't want it anymore i was struggling with it but we come from a very different background my dad was a hindu and he became a christian so i am the first generation christian in our family my, my dad is of course a convert and he was 14 years old he chose to become a christian he took his baptism and he became a christian at the time and i felt always that god was someone that i could never reach and he would never accept me one thing i knew was each time i wear a dress and i felt like i was expressing myself as a girl i would feel guilty my parents were working at the time when there was no one in the house i would lock all the doors and windows and i would slowly slip on the skirt and i would dance and i would just enjoy being a girl but as soon as i heard my dad's scooter coming i would immediately uh, run and remove everything and just pretend like nothing was happening and then i would go quietly to my room and ask for forgiveness i said god please forgive me i'm sorry <laughs> i did this i'm so sorry i i i had to be a girl i don't know i know you don't like it but this is me and that's how my life was did you try not to like when you would pray afterwards and ask for forgiveness did you promise that you would not do it again like an alcoholic does with drinking Right, I would always do that because I didn't want to be a girl. Growing up as a child, I treated myself like a sin, like stealing, like lying, like cheating. At the time that's all I knew. But now I was thinking and people were always comparing people like me to an alcoholic person and saying that, "Hey, you can overcome this. You can overcome this." That's exactly what I was asking that at some point you felt like you had a disease, like you were making a choice doing something wrong. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. 
And I, was, I knew that I had a choice between right and wrong. The right is not doing it. The wrong is doing it. So I did it because in my body, in my fragment of my body, I had to do it. And I was led to do it and I did it. And whenever I did it, I went and asked for forgiveness. But then I would quickly feel like, oh, I really want to wear a skirt. I want to be a girl today. Um, and then I would think to myself, I'm a boy. I want to be a boy. Why am I a girl? But the funny thing is there's always a white noise in your head that keeps telling you that you are not worthy. And that white noise was always in my head. And I did not want to hear that white noise. And so whenever I prayed, I felt better. I felt good. Oh, God has now forgiven me, so I'm going to be okay. And then I would move on with my life. And within a couple of days, it will come back. And there has been times when I have taken a skirt and gone to the beach. And after it is completely dark, I would just slip on the skirt and just sit on the beach with my skirt spread around <laughs> in the sand. And I would just wish and pray, God, I wish I was a girl. You know, you made me like this. And then you're telling me that I'm wrong. Why is this? It's not right for you to do this. How old were you? I was in elementary and you, at that point, still felt like God didn't make a mistake. You did. Absolutely. You didn't get mad at God no. for putting you in the wrong body. No. You blamed yourself for not living up to the sex parts that he gave you. Exactly. These are the standards that you have in a Christian household. We were going based on laws that were written. You cannot lie, you cannot cheat, you cannot steal, you cannot do things that are wrong. And anything you do sexual is wrong. Even masturbation was wrong at the time. And sometimes I get so excited, you know, being a girl. And I used to masturbate and I thought, oh, God, I'm so sorry I masturbated today. And I was asking for forgiveness even for that because it was such a taboo topic. People wouldn't talk about it. And that's how my life was. And in my fourth grade, probably when I was nine or ten years old, my uncle molested me. Now, this was a time when he was visiting us, and this is my mother's brother. He was visiting us in the nighttime. He just molested me, and I, I felt so horrible, and I, I really loved him as my uncle. And suddenly when he did that, I didn't know how to express. You know, I was feeling so down, and it kind of drained my entire uh, energy, and I couldn't tell anyone because I didn't want to tell my mom. It was my mom's brother. How would I tell her? Then I just blamed it on myself again. I said, you know what? It's because I'm probably like a girl that he did it to me. I was looking more gender neutral at the time. I was looking so feminine, even as a boy. But I wanted to shave my hair and I wanted to always pretend like I was a buff boy. <laughs> you know, I played all kinds of games like rugby and cricket, field hockey. I would do everything possible just to keep my femininity away. I didn't want people to suspect that I was having this feminine desire. It was always, I'll wake up in the morning and think, okay, what can I do today that will prove to my friends that I'm a boy? But deep inside, I knew I wanted to be a girl. I don't have to pretend to be a girl, but I always had to pretend to be a boy. And that's how I grew up. And just two years after that, my cousin molested me again. And this time I thought to myself, oh, this is what happens to people like me. And is this something that is okay? Or is it something that's common? That's what men do to other boys? And why did he do that? You know, I really like my cousin. We hung out and he bought stuff for me. He's a very nice person, but why did he thrust his penis in my back? Why did he do that? I, I didn't know. Again, I blamed it on myself. I just said, this is because of me. I am different. And that's why he did it. And I was so angry with myself. And I said, maybe my femininity is causing me to do this. I'm going to punish myself. I hate being this person. 
I'm going to do something. I used to hit my face because I was angry about this girl in me that was making me do this. And there's been times when I was so angry, I used to tie myself up and I was like, I need to punish you. And I could see the, you know, the rope um, just cutting through my skin. It was that bad. And uh, there was a time in my ninth grade, I wanted to really express my femininity. This time was a little different because I wore a skirt and a top and I walked around the house. It was evening time. I was walking through the streets and I came to this construction site and a security guard was standing right there. And he saw me and said, hey, what are you doing here? Come here. And I walked closer to him because I couldn't run. I was having a really long skirt. And I gathered my skirt and went and stood next to him. And he looked at me and said, you're a boy. What the hell are you doing in a dress like this? I didn't know what to say. I was struggling to speak at the time because he caught hold of me. And he was drunk. So when he started yelling at me, eight to nine men who were sitting in that construction site eating or drinking, they just came and started standing around me. And they found it was fun for them to watch a trans kid like me getting caught. And in India, if you get caught, the first thing they do is they either tie you up or beat you nicely. You know, they will make sure that you're the scum of the society. You cannot do this. So they kept asking me, where is your dad? Where do you live? What are you doing here? And I was so scared at the time because I knew what they're going to do. I was so scared and I was standing there thinking, okay, I'm going to die. I was ready for them to do whatever they wanted to do to me. And I saw some women walking in that place and I was thinking, oh, there are some women, they will help me. But to my surprise, they stood and they started laughing at me, pointing fingers. And they used the most derogatory language uh, they would use for the trans community. But I was standing there and I was thinking to myself, why are they angry? I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't steal. I'm just walking here and they don't like me. And I didn't know what to do at the time. And I suddenly spoke in Hindi. I confused them because they didn't understand Hindi and I was telling them that I wanted to go to market in Hindi. So they understood market and they said, okay, market is this way. And I said, oh, thank you. I just waved like that and I quickly went and then I ran. <laughs> I gathered my skirt and I was running home and I was uh, so scared. And I uh, came to my home and I was thinking to myself, what did my parents come to know? My parents will have to face the shame because of me. I want to die. I don't want to live I'm going to try and kill myself. So I once again tied my hands behind my back and I put a plastic bag this time on my head. And I tied the plastic bag and I said, you know what, I'm going to die today because God hates me. My parents cannot live with a person like me. I'm a shameful person. So I'm going to die. Um, and I was at a point where the plastic bag was kind of, you know, you can, you can feel it. It's kind of going into your face and sucking the whole air. And I was getting to a point where suddenly I was thinking, I'm going to die now. And I somehow wiggled out and pulled one of my hand and I took out the plastic bag. I started crying at the time. And I was thinking to myself, I don't want to die, but I'm so afraid to live. What do I do? My religion tells me you're going to hell. <laughs> my parents are going to be ashamed of me. I'm not happy with myself because of my life. And the only option I have is either run away from home or kill yourself. And I tried killing myself and I was afraid to die. And I was struggling so hard. Why did you make me like this? You know, why can't you take this away? I don't want it. I was not wanting to be a girl at the time. I was like, I want this girl thing to get out of my body. Can I do something? Please tell me what do I need to do? 
I have gone for all the evangelical meetings. Even Billy Graham, when he came to India, this was in seventies. I remember going and going to his meeting, quietly praying in my heart, "Lord, heal me." It was such a revival, and everyone was getting healed and all that. I've gone for revival ministries, and I used to quietly pray in my heart. They'll say, "Who wants to heal? Come in the front. You know, we're going to heal you." I have gone in the front and knelt down, hoping that God is going to heal me. I didn't want to tell anyone at the time, but I knew what I was going through deep inside. That God, please heal me. Please heal me. I want to be healed. Nothing happened. I was so upset and I was so scared and I didn't know what to do. But one thing I did was um, I was into music. Music was like a healing to me. I think that was something that. probably god gave me and i was writing songs and i wrote my first song it was a christian song about i long for the sunshine i long for you i i started started writing songs because i started reading the bible i opened the bible and i said god heal me and maybe god can heal me i want to read about it you know let me read passages where god says i'm going to heal you and i truly believe i want to stop you Celia mm-hmm. i want to back up a little bit Before this point, you mentioned that there were rules, that there were laws, even mm-hmm. about sex and masturbation, telling the truth. I assumed for part of that you meant the Ten Commandments. Is that correct? Ten Commandments, and also the other commandments that were written in the Bible. It was about eating meat, not eating pig. Those kind of Old Testament laws that. Where empathized at the time, and the other question I had is the men at the construction site and the women. Mm-hmm. What is your guess of their religion? They are Hindus. They're Hindus, and in the Hindu religion, there's many gods, right? It's not a monotheistic religion, and there are both female, male, and a third gender. No, I would say there are some gods who have taken an incarnation of being a woman. A gender fluidity was very common in Hindu religion, like Vishnu, Shiva. They could change whom they wanted, and then there was okay. another god. It was the uh, feminine side of uh, the god Shiva or God Vishnu. So there was um, always a f- uh, gender was so fluid. Sexuality was very fluid in India. One of the things that I studied and really my biggest exposure to India, and I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but hijra, hijras, hijras, mm-hmm. which are people born intersexed or hermaphroditic. They're also made intersex too. What I learned was that they were revered because they were not binary gender, and therefore must be closer to God than a binary gendered person. Correct. Did you have any exposure to that if you were growing up in that area? So when I was growing up, I was a Christian, and Christians were only six percent of the Indian population at the time. So growing up in a minority population of being a Christian, it was interesting for me to see the hijra. People, and I saw two hijra women being kicked out of the train because they were hijras and they were trying to sing and make money. I stood there looking at them, thinking that I am you. I am actually you, but I don't want to be you because I was a Christian and I could not identify the religion part of it, but I could identify with the gender side of it. And they believe in tradition, and they were revered, of course, till the colonialism came to India. They were revered in the temple courts. They were revered as people who are so special that they could bless the child, they could bless the couple, they could bless the household, and that's how they were revered in the time. And there are hijras who are also some of them are intersexual, born that way, and there are some hijras who are made that way. Basically, it's all a part of the transgender umbrella. 
For instance, if I had chosen to tell my parents and my dad and mom did not accept me, they would kick me out of the house. And so the only option I had was either I can kill myself or go and join the hijra community. So if I go to the hijra community, what they would do is they would castrate your male organs away. And they do it in a very unhealthy way. Those days, there was no medical way of doing it. They did it in the most horrific way. And there you go. So you're in between genders and you don't know. And that's what happens when a person is castrated. So what happens is even though you get some facial hair, it's not as prominent as the other folks. So you're at a point where you become gender neutral at the time. So a lot of uh, hijras are either uh, gender fluid or gender neutral, or they also are castrated and they live as, I would say, a transgender woman. I would say post-op transgender woman. That's the right terminology. Those days they call them as transsexuals, but transsexual is very bad language because it is not about transsexuality, but transgender is what it is called. Post-op trans, non-op trans, and pre-op trans. And that's how we categorize the entire transgender community. So I am a non-op trans because I have not had surgery and I don't want to have surgery and I can still be a transgender person because being a transgender person is someone who doesn't identify in the gender that you're born, then you're transgender. And that's why I feel so comfortable in both my genders. But the hijra community, going back to them, they were, I would say, pre-op transgender. And not all of them could uh, afford surgery at that time. So they sometimes would, they would socially transition, but medically they won't transition. They would dress like a woman, but they had not transitioned completely. They were just living as, and they were still called hijras. And when you were young, what was the social attitude towards that group? The hijra community was more as beggars and performers. And that's what they did because they had to make money and they lived with this nanis or guru nanis, they call them, where they are the heads of the household. So these folks, what they did is they gave them food and shelter and they told them that I will give you food and shelter, but you have to go make money for us. So they have to go and either they work, they dance or they have sex and whatever money they get from that, they have to go and give it to the Guru Nani. And what the Guru Nani decides, so you can keep some pocket money here and this money goes to me. Even till today, that's what is happening in India. So Guru Nani's are a cross between Fagin from Oliver Twist and a pimp. They are. <laughs> they identify as a trans person and they do that too. And uh, it's like they've grown old and they're more elderly and have a group of 20 trans people with them. and They become the madam of a brothel. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So they run the whole show and uh, they have contacts within the industry. They know the police officers and they know people who want to have sex with trans people. They were the pimps. They used to get money out of it. And that's the kind of life the hijra community was living in India. And they still live in India. That and day. so you knew of them. You were familiar with them, but you in no way wanted to be a part of that. Community. I could not relate to them because I was in school and I did not want to come out. But I was thinking to myself that I relate to you, I identify with you, but I don't want to be you. And that was the way I was relating to them. And I was so sad then when they were kicked out of the train, I was looking at them and they looked so pretty and they were like, like me, I was like, oh my God, I see you and I see myself in you, but you're getting kicked out of the train. You're getting kicked out from the hospital. You get kicked out from the schools. You're kicked out from the society in every way. I don't think I can handle that. That's how I was when I was a child. <laughs> so I didn't want that life because I was scared. I was really scared and I didn't want to be kicked out of my home. And I knew that growing up in a traditional 
a Christian family, if I come out, oh my God, that'll be the last thing. And the only option I had if they kicked me out was to go and join the Hijra community. And the Hijra community was a Hindu community. And I can't, as a Christian, I can't go and live in a Hijra community. It was really hard and I couldn't relate to that because religion, I would say faith and God was important to me even as a child. Even when I felt I was a sinner, even when I felt that I'm going to hell, even when I was in the verge of dying, I felt like God was there. I knew there was somebody out there, somebody out there who knew what I was going through. So I did my schooling and I came to my college and I was still struggling. I was more into music and music was one of my healing passions. And I graduated. I did my master's in computer science and I was working in a research institute at the time. I was working on the human genome research project that came to India. I was developing molecular modeling and I was thinking to myself that I'm working with one of the world's best research institute in India. And these people are scientists. You know, they're post-doctorates, they're doctorates. They're working on research papers and I'm working in a crystallography lab. Is there something in my DNA that is messed up? Is there something in my body that is messed up? Or it's just I'm playing tricks with my mind? Or is devil trying to lure me into committing a sin so that devil is keeping me away from this? So devil was an important aspect when I was growing up. <laughs> There's always a devil. Anything wrong is the devil. Even if a person is born blind, Oh, because the person has sinned, the person has done something wrong, the parents have done something wrong, some influence of evil spirits. That's the way we were born and brought up in India. So I was thinking that maybe devil is trying to keep me away from God, you know, with this femininity. He's throwing this femininity in me so that I would not be a Christian. And so I'm going to try to see how I can battle this demon. What did you think about women at that time? And were you attracted to men or women? It's a great point, and I did not even bring that up. The reason I was confused with my own gender identity is because I was attracted to women all the time. I was never attracted to men. And I was attracted to women. I loved women. I really, really, really wanted to be a woman. It was a fun part of it. I had a lot of girlfriends, too. And part of the reason why I had girlfriends is because I wanted to prove to my friends that, hey, I'm cool. I'm a cool boy. I have girlfriends here. And I did have girlfriends. I'm just imagining your situation that I would be looking for any life raft to grab onto that I could find around me, whether it was the Hydras or the Bhagavad Gita and, and feminine gods. Were you ever attracted to it? Yeah, I was attracted to the gender fluidity of the Hindu gods. But I didn't relate to the religion part of it because uh, the Hindu religion was more based on karma. The, you have to do something good. You have to do something good. And then it was about what you do in this world, you will also carry in the next world. And they were talking about the reincarnation was focused on not resurrection, but it's a difference in resurrection and reincarnation. And how did you see that as different from good deeds on earth and heaven and hell? The way I understood was, first thing is I was born and brought up with the Hindu culture because of the school. I had to study that. And since I had a Christian family, I was just going to church. I was going to all these places, but I wasn't searching for truth. Was there a moment that you remember that you realized you had access to the text itself instead of what other people were saying about it? 
I would say that I was educating myself with the Bible because I felt that I was looking for answers. I was looking for answers as to why I am different. I was looking for answers as to, God, is there a reason? Would you forgive me for who I am? I didn't find those answers in Hindu scriptures. At the time when I was growing up, I was more caught up with, I needed someone to understand me. I look at the sky and I see God there. And I see, how, how can I live that life? And I see the life of Jesus. And he has shown me the way. He's shown me, he's taught me how to love people. And I need to do it. In all the answers that I had, I was still curious about, God, can you heal me? I don't want to be a girl. I still didn't accept myself. I was in denial. And I wanted religion. I, I wanted somebody to tell me that I'm wrong. And I couldn't talk to anyone. Because if I tell somebody about my problems, the first thing is they will shun me. And the medical treatment was very bad in India. If they know you're sick medically, they will probably, you know, you're gone. They give you medicines and medication, which would probably make you a vegetable rest of your life. And I was scared to go to those mental hospitals. Now, here I was finding an answer to what I was going through. And I was thinking to myself, God, please, I know Jesus died for me on the cross. Can you take this away? This is my biggest sin in life. I don't want to be a girl. Can you please take it away? God never answered me. He never answered me. This is after my college. I was working in India and I got married. At the time, um, it was an arranged marriage. And I truly believed that if I marry a woman, my femininity would go away. I thought it might be a healing for me to marry a woman because I was attracted to women. I was not attracted to men at all. Even today, I'm not. So I'm partly heterosexual. But at the same time, since I'm a trans woman and I like a woman, I can say that I'm a trans lesbian. <laughs> it's a funny way of mentioning it. But I was truly looking for an answer and God was not answering my prayer. I was always praying that God, please show me something. Give me something. I don't know what I'm going through. And nothing happened. And I said, okay, God, I'm getting married to this beautiful lady. I don't want to spoil her life. If you're going to get me out of marriage right now, please do it. Now is the time. Please do it. Nothing happened. I was really attracted to my wife and I came to this country as soon as I got married, just one month after I got married. And I was working really well. I was working for Dun & Bradstreet. I was working in a great firm in New York. So business-wise, I was doing very good in my career. But deep inside, family-wise, I was just pretending to be a good husband while I was going through a lot of issues. And uh, all these issues just started coming back after one year after we got married. And I was, I didn't know how to tell my wife because I didn't want this and now it's back. And I was so upset. I was so upset. I literally went to Walmart, bought a fabric and I, I bought a sewing machine and I sat and stitched an entire skirt by myself because I need to wear it. I need to express myself. And the only way I could do it is, you know, I need to dress up like a girl and that's the way to do it. And then I thought, maybe I'm a cross-dresser because I'm just dressing up. I didn't like that word because it really didn't explain to me what I was. I was not dressing up because I like dressing. My point is I was dressing up because I was going through something deep inside of me that kept telling me that I'm a woman, not because I like dressing up like a girl. And I came out to my wife in uh, 2004, and this was in Jacksonville, Florida. I came out to her and said, sweetheart, I'm going through a problem. And I didn't know how to tell her, but I said, I'm going through a problem. I sometimes dress up like a girl. And she said, oh, if you dress up like a girl, then don't dress up. Find a therapy. And I was thinking at the time, like Alcoholic Anonymous, any other group, support groups, do they have a support group for trans people? 
that I can go to and I can get rid of this because I want to get rid of this. Even in 2004, I wanted to get rid of this. I don't want to be a girl. My wife was pregnant and we had a beautiful baby. And at the time, I also had a child and my little baby was growing up. And I was thinking to myself, oh, Lord, I'm getting deep into my family life now and I'm still struggling with my gender. What am I going to do? And I didn't want to disappoint my wife. So I told her and she was scared and she was saying, I married a man, not a woman. A sweetheart, I don't want a woman. Please get rid of this. And I spoke to a gay counselor in Florida at the time. He was a Christian gay counselor. I told him my entire story. And after a long time, he listened to my story and he said, you are gay. I was like, seriously, is that what you got out of the whole conversation? He said, yeah, you're feminine gay. I've known people. I know this. So you are gay. And I was like, no, I'm not gay. I'm not attracted to boys. I'm not attracted to men. Oh, you're just growing up. You will figure it out. You are attracted to everybody. And I was like, seriously, I just slammed the phone down. I thought, what the heck is wrong with this man? He's supposed to be a Christian counselor. Is this what I'm getting from you? Oh, my God. And then I said, you know what? I'm not going to tell anybody. I'm just going to live, take it to my grave. And then I decided and I started expressing myself in the wrong places. I was looking for acceptance in the wrong places. So I went to the bars and I used to have friends who are like me. And we used to dress up and go to these bars and that's the only place I could hang out, lesbian bars, gay bars, where they have a transgender night and you could find people like me come and just have a drink and sit and talk about our stories and stuff like that. And every time I enter a bar, a man would come to me and say, hey, how much are you? Can I give you 20 bucks? Give me a blowjob for 20 bucks. I was thinking to myself, what the heck? Oh, I'm not a prostitute. You know, this is exactly what I don't want to do. And why are these people treating me like this? I don't want to do this. I said, no, um, I'm not that. Uh, I'm sorry. I, I don't do that. And uh, one night I was abused by a trans in the bar. I didn't expect her. She was nice to me. I sat and I was talking to her. And then suddenly she flipped her hand and between my thighs. And I was like, oh, my God, uh, what happened now? I came to my car and I started crying and crying at 2.30 in the morning. And I said, God, this is not what I want. I don't want to do this. This is exactly what I want. Why did you make me like this? I can't go through this. I cannot take this anymore. Please, you got to do something about it. God did not speak. God was quiet. And I sat down one day and I said, okay, God, let's talk. <laughs> what I'm going through, you made me like this. Your word says that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your word says that when I was in my mother's womb, you knew me. You knew all along that I'm different. Why didn't you say anything? I'm struggling so hard and you're just sitting and watching me go through all this. I would have killed myself. God, what are you doing to me? I was just watching. God didn't answer anything. And I was thinking to myself, what the heck is going on with my life? The first thing that occurred to me was, have you accepted who you are? And I thought to myself, no, I have not really accepted who I was. It kind of occurred to me in a subconscious mind while I was praying one day that, if God made me this way, he knew that I would be trans. He knew that I would go through all this. But why did he make me go through all this? And if he made me go through all this, then he needs to take care of me. I'm not going to do anything. And I said, God, if you made me, you got to handle it. You know, I'm not going to anything. I'm not going to search for scriptures. I'm not going to search anything. It was a wake-up call. And then I said, okay, God, 
I get it. I asked myself. I am trans. I don't want to say it, but I am transgender. And I couldn't even say that word to myself because, no, I'm not. I don't want to be a transgender. I said, okay, God, I get it. I'm a transgender. According to all the research I've done, according to all the medical journals I've read, according to all the conferences I've gone to, I'm a scientist. I, I'm a biologist. I'm working with healthcare companies. I'm working with biopharmas today. I'm working on genetics. I'm looking at human genome. 23andMe is nothing to me. These are old concepts. Now you tell me, you made me like this because you have done something with my genome and you knew this. Now, why are you playing with me? Please lead my life. You take care of it. After I accepted myself, I stopped being in denial. It took 42 years. It wasn't an easy journey, but 42 years of struggle. And then I started looking at it differently. And God just threw opportunities on my path that I couldn't even imagine. I remember coming out in a church. I called the pastor and I said, I am a trans person. Can I come to your church? She was a lesbian, and they were a lesbian couple, and she said, absolutely. Can I come as a girl? Is it okay? And she said, yeah, sure, absolutely. And I went to the church, and I sat in the Bible study there for the first time as Celia, and I was looking around myself, and I didn't want to talk to anybody because I thought they would know that I was trans. But when I went to the church, I was sitting there and thinking to myself, do I want to really pretend like I'm a girl? I'm not a girl. I don't want to be a girl, but what do I want to be? Then I said to myself, God, what do I call myself as? Who am I? <laughs> Tell me, what am I? And I went to the church for a year. And the pastor one day told me, she said, do you want to talk about your life, Celia? Because if you're comfortable, you can tell your story. And I think your, your story is very powerful. And I thought to myself, I said, please give me a week. I need to think about it. And it didn't take me a week. It just took me a day. It probably took me an hour. I just sat down in my car and said, God, this is what I want to do. And I felt at peace. And I started telling my story that day. And she said, the news is going to come. They're going to cover your story. Are you okay with it? And I said, sure, let them do it. The news coverage came and they covered my story. I came out in the church and they gave me such an opportunity to be myself. I told them, uh, I'm, I'm not going to transition because I'm married. And they said, it's your life, Celia. This is your life. You need to live your life the way you want to. And then I decided to myself as to if I transition, I'm going to lose my wife. I'm going to lose my daughter because they are cisgender. And I said, if I have to come to a compromise, what do I do? Because I need to be Celia and I also need to be a husband to my wife. I need to be a father to my daughter. And so I just told my story the way it was that I'm not going to do it. It came out of the newspaper. I got such a backlash from the Christian community in my county. They said, you're just a fake cross-dresser who is a man dressed like a woman seeking attention and medical help. You need medical help. Letters to the editor column was filled with hatred, all from Christians. People who were not Christians were saying that, you know, you're so courageous to come out. Great. I saw all the newspaper clippings and my friends brought it up and said, Celia, we're going to fight for you. We're going to say this to them. And they all wrote back. But I sat in my car crying that day and I was sitting and thinking, God, you brought me this far. People hate me. <laughs> I don't want to come out anymore. I'm done. You know, always I felt like God was speaking to me through subconscious mind. And he was like, nope, you're not going back. <laughs> In fact, you're going bold. And I thought to myself, I'm going bold. What do I do? I said, you know what? To hell with these people. <laughs> I'm going to come out with my story. So whether you like it or not, so I'm going to go. 
I just went out in my community. I joined the human rights organization. I was the only trans person out of 200 people in that room. And they asked me, Celia, what are you doing in this? And I said, I'm, I'm representing the trans community. I know the problems they're going through. I know the medical issues they're going through. And I want to help the doctors. I want to come out and help. They put my picture saying, this is Celia from our community. She's trans and she's fighting for her healthcare rights for trans. And I did. I started coming out and I started fighting for immigration rights. I started fighting for school board rights. And I started fighting for all issues that were not even trans related. And I realized I found this power because I was out. And I started telling my story. My daughter asked me, Dad, what are you going through? I saw a picture of you on the computer. You were like a girl. And she was 15 years old. She found out. So I told her my story. So she had never met you as Celia and your wife? No, no. Neither of them? No. Even at church? So they didn't go to church with you, I take it? No, we went to a church. As Daniel, I was going to a church. But as Celia, I was going to another church too. And she didn't come with you to that church? No. Wow. How long between you coming out in the media and them seeing you? They didn't know because I looked totally different from Daniel and Celia. (laughs) Even my picture was in the newspaper. They were reading about Celia Daniels is coming out. Were you worried the whole time? Oh, Oh, my God. I was so worried because I thought, what if people find the resemblance? But they could not. I'm so different. But you were living two different lives. You were going to church and going to functions as Celia and coming home as Daniel. You're hiding clothes this whole time? I was hiding clothes. My wife knew that I was in the support groups, but she told me that I don't want to see you as a girl. So I was trying to come to a compromise as to, okay, I'm not going to be a girl to you, but I'm a girl outside. I want you to know that I have a life outside. And to me, it was like I had to come to a compromise or we're going to get separated. We're going to have a divorce. And I didn't want it. And 84% of the trans who come out have a divorce. So that's another problem that I faced. And gender dysphoria is huge for me because I'm between both genders. Celia were like 50%, 50%. And my driving changes, my speaking changes, my uh, food, eating the way it changed, changed, um, my appearance changed. To me, Celia was being natural. You know, I, I didn't have to pretend to be Celia. Um, I was not pretending to be, I didn't have to, you know, uh, do gestures like a woman because it was just automatic and I didn't know how. But as a guy, sometimes I sometimes cross my leg and I sit down as a guy and I'll be thinking, oh my God, I'm crossing my legs. I need to put my leg back. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was so funny. Sometimes as a guy, when I'm peeing, I'll be thinking, oh my God, I'm sitting like a girl. No, I'd have to stand up and pee. So, it was confusing. It's still sometimes confusing because living as a gender fluid person between both genders is hard. And I did that only because I wanted my family. So do go back to what your daughter said when she came to you after seeing a picture of you on the computer. And then I also want to hear if you live as Daniel at all anymore. So let me get back to my daughter first. She had realized that a dad is trans when she was 15 years old because she saw a picture of me and at the time we were going to a party I was wearing a suit my wife was wearing a sari and she came down and said dad why are you wearing a sari and I said sweetheart I'm wearing a suit what do you mean I'm not wearing a sari <laughs> and uh, she said no I saw a picture of you in the computer you were wearing a sari then my wife she knew that I had come out to her and she was like tell her it's Halloween you're not coming out and I told my wife sweetheart I'll take care of this I don't want you to do it I'll take care of it 
And I thought for a couple of days and I sat down and I told her the whole story. I took 25 minutes telling her about me, how I grew up and what the things I faced. I didn't tell her about the abuse part of it because I didn't want her to know. And then she was like, dad, that's so cool. And she asked me one question. Do you want to be a woman from now on? And I said, what do you want me to be, sweetheart? She said, I, I don't care. You know, I don't care was like, she's going to miss her dad because I'm really close to my daughter, even today. And I was thinking to myself, oh my God, I'm going to miss my daughter. If I become a woman, am I going to miss her? And I was literally, I was asking her, so you don't like to see me as a girl? She said, no, it's not that. I just thought you should do what is good for you, dad. She was 15 years old and she's telling me all this. And I was cheering up and telling, sweetheart, I can't ask for more. What can I say? And then she said, dad, that's fine. You be what you are um, and I love you. And I told her, I'm going to be a dad. I'm not going to be a mom. It's not going to happen. I don't care what the world says. I don't care what the gender nomenclature is. I don't care about the world right now. I care about you. And I was thinking to myself, and I told my wife that I need to transition. And then my wife said, I don't know. I didn't sign up for this. And I was thinking to myself, what do I do? How do I keep my family together? Then I thought to myself, if I was a cisgender man, what if my wife came out and said, sweetheart, I'm a trans man. How would I react to it? And I thought, hmm, that is interesting. I never thought about it. I would get angry. I would kind of like, I didn't sign up for this. I want a girl who's wearing a skirt. I would love to see a woman. And now you're coming and saying you're a man. That's exactly what she's thinking in her mind. Can I give her that part of it? She's saying that she understands me, but she's just asking that, please give me my husband a little bit. I'm not asking you everything. If you transition, I'm going to miss that. And I thought to myself, God, what do you want me to do? I don't know. I'm, I'm struggling with my genders right now. And at the time, what was important to me was, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I kept thinking about it. God, do I want to change it? Even if I change my gender, I would do the same thing. Nothing is going to change. Because socially, I had transitioned. People know me at Celia everywhere. Even at work, I had come out at Celia. But there was a Daniel part just for my family. And it's still there. So to answer your question, I thought to myself and all my friends, everybody said, okay, now that you come out, you need to start transitioning, start taking your hormones. And I said, no, I'm not going to do it. And they said, no, you have to take hormones because you're fooling yourself. You're not the true person. Uh, and I thought to myself, why should I do what the world is asking me to do? Why can't I do what I want to do? And everybody said, you look like a girl. If you take your hormones, you'll probably even be beautiful. And I said, look, I'm 51 years old. I'm not going to look any more beautiful. It's probably going downhill from now. <laughs> so it's not about me, not about how I look, but what I do matters. It's not about Celia, but what Celia is doing matters. If God made me this way, there is a reason why he made me this way. And I want to do, Lord, what you want me to do. And then my eyes just opened in various ways when I saw all the human rights issues. And I said, God, I see so much need here. Can I be the mouthpiece of people like me? Can I talk about all the issues trans people go through? And I started doing it. And there were platforms. I used my music for that. I was composing songs as Celia. I have released my first song as Daniel and Celia. I have never heard of anyone releasing a song with both genders. 
I've seen trans people release songs as a girl or trans men releasing songs as a guy, but I sang in both my genders. And both my genders are in that song. Because I believe that sometimes God makes us uniquely. God didn't just make man and woman. God made people who are blind. God made people who are disabled. God made people who are like me. God made trans people. And if someone tells me that just God made Adam and Eve, I'm like, I get it. But he also made people like me. And that is what is important. And if God made me, then God start using me and I will do what you want me to do. But now when I start reading the scriptures again and again, and I started looking at passages and I felt like if Jesus was there today and if I go and stand in front of Jesus and say, Jesus, am I okay? Do I look okay? Is my makeup okay? Jesus is not going to look at me and say, you look like a trans woman. He's going to say, what are you doing with your life that I gave you? He's going to ask me, Celia, I really don't care how you look. I really don't care if you're Daniel. I don't care if you're Celia. I made you for a reason. What are you doing with your life? And that mattered to me. So I started focusing on what I'm doing as Celia. And that changed my attitude. And now I am on fire. I went to the police station, LAPD, and I have trained the police department. I have gone to the school board and spoken about trans community. I have been in the meetings with, um, with the congresswoman here, the vice president of Stonewall Democrats. I've gone to India. I came out in my office. In, I came out in my client's site and I came out as gender neutral. I spoke about why companies need to hire trans people like me. And how do we change policies? I don't even question why God made me. God chose me for a reason. And that's why I'm so happy and proud. And I know my wife is so accepting. <laughs> 17 years. It took 17 years. It's not easy. After I told her my whole story, she said, Sweetheart, I'm so proud of you. I'm so happy what you do because I just thought you want to be a girl, but you said, no, you want to change the community to accept people like you. And that is my goal. And that's what Jesus wanted us to do. That's what God would want us to do. Anything I can do to help people understand that is what is important. I'm sitting here today because I think these stories need to be heard in the right context. We are very easy in putting people in boxes. Even within the trans community, they boxed me in a place where they said, you belong to this box, you cannot come out. Being a brown person and an immigrant and a person who is a big advocate for transgender community, I am a big advocate for Black Lives Matter. I'm a big advocate for Chinese people when they had coronavirus issues. I'm a big advocate for the, the Muslim folks, for the Sikh folks, for anybody, any human being who's being disrespected. And to me, that matters. Human lives is so important. And so for me, that is what I felt like I should do. And I told my wife, sweetheart, I know now what I'm doing. When I was young, I lived in doubt and I lived in denial. And then I found discovery. I was discovering myself. And now I found my destiny. I know what I want to do. Starting a life from the point where I was completely living in denial to doubting myself to the point where I wanted to kill myself to the point where God really showed me. God has just showed me things. Now I know that it's real, it's powerful. And it's not because of Celia, it's because of God. I can tell you, I'm alive today because God wants me to survive this far. People like me who are struggling in faith, people like me who have been kicked out of the church, have hope. God is always there.